what do me, Mahmoud Abnadinejad, Taylor Swift all have in common? We know it's on. It's going to be a hot summer, everybody. If you were unclear about what fourth turnings look like, turn on your TV. We will talk about the 40 million unemployed in America. We will talk about the 100,000 plus that are now dead as a result of COVID-19. We will talk gold. We will talk the dollar. We'll talk a little uranium. But the topic this week is absolutely what we're witnessing across the country. Um, it's not one incident. It's not two incidents. It's not three incidents. Um, it's multiple incidents of, of power abusing power um, and seemingly believing that the abuse of power can continue unchecked. Um, I don't believe that'll be the case. This is going to be a more somber Bizarro World episode. I'm Gerardo Del Real along with my co-host, Mr. Nick Hodge. This is episode 72 of Bizarro World. Before we get to the smoke, Nick, how are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing quite well, Gerardo. Seeing the market clearly, trading gold pretty well. Uh, I told you I went long in the episode that uh, came out earlier this week. I closed that trade today successfully. Um, family's healthy. Get to see some uh, extended family this weekend. And so life is pretty good. How about you? I'm well. I'm healthy. I'm safe. Um, it's sunny. We can go outside. Um, things are well. We're being cautious, of course, but we are starting to slowly but surely venture back out into the world, um, being mindful, of course, of the people around us, especially those that are most vulnerable. So all is well there. Let's start with the markets. Let, 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 let's get to that and get that out of the way. Because again, you know, I think for the people that listen to this podcast, um, there's two types. There's people that listen for our commentary on things that are interrelated with the markets, right? But, but a lot of it has a social connotation to it. And we're, we're, we're definitely going to focus, I believe, a lot on that because frankly, there's just a lot to talk about. But let's talk markets. Gold dipped briefly briefly below the $1,700 level. You put on a good trade. I believe it was for early advantage. Is that correct? That's correct. You timed that thing beautifully. I think it, it fell below 1600 for 20 minutes. You got out an alert and now here gold is closing right around the 1730 level. It's a heck of a way to end the month. Silver closed strong, 1781. Um, copper, 242. The dollar fell back a little bit, closing at 9831. I'd love your take on the gold space. Um, close, close strong to the month. I mean, it's it's a grinding higher bull market. You just saw it um, a healthy, uh, albeit very brief pullback, like you said. And and gold just doesn't want to stay below seventeen hundred dollars. You can see it, you can feel it, and we know all the the reasons why. And um, look, it's sort of. We've been talking about the disconnect in the stocks and the economy, and, and that's all well and good, right? The stocks can continue going back up. And in fact, the Dow really did try to get green today when GDP was revised even worse, down 5% in the U.S. in the, in the first quarter, one in four Americans without a job, like um, you just said. And um, so how I've sort of been articulating this is that um, you, you were seeing stocks rising and people can't understand how that can be so um, at the same time dollar relatively strong and gold incredibly strong. And so how I've been saying that in my writing is that gold is going up for the right reasons, right? And I'd rather be in something that's going up for the right reasons mm. than something that's going up for all the wrong reasons, mm. because it's harder to understand that, right? Like um, 
uh, wait, two more million people just lost their job, but stocks are going up. Like, how are you supposed to go long the S&P the day before a Thursday's jobs number? Like, how can you confidently do that, right? Because you don't actually know what's going to happen the next day. Is it going to be, are the algos going to take it up? Are the algos going to take it down? Um, and with volatility still in a regime that's well above normal, mm. um, it's just really risky, right? And then gold, on the other hand, is going up for the right reasons, right? For um, the money printing and the the debt and the people wanting insurance, et cetera. Um, and so it's easier, at least for me, you know, I can't speak for everyone, but it's easier for me to get a handle on that, right? Because um, it's like an equation, right? A plus B equals C, where like uh, in the market, it's the stock market, it's just a total cluster, right? And yet, and yet the S&P ended the month of May with gains of just over 4%. Again, 40 million unemployed, over 100,000 dead Americans. Um, and we could argue about the numbers and how they, how they, how they account for those. But um, I, like, I like morality in your speculation there, Nick. <laughs> morality in your speculation in the gold space there. It's going up for the right reasons, right? Um, and you know what? Frankly, it's a whole lot easier to be excited um, and, and, and speculate in a space for the right reasons when you're seeing the stocks finally respond, right? I think uh, Magna Gold is up, uh, what, something like 70% this week. We started talking about Magna Gold, I think, last October, um, last September, when it was a, a 25 cent stock. You and I each wrote a check, I think, at the 10 cent level. I just wrote a check at the 41 cent level. I believe you recently wrote a check at the 32 cent level, correct? I did. And here we are sitting at, you know, 77 cents. And and just like we told you when it was 25 cents that it was going much higher. Um, it, you know, if, if gold keeps doing what it's doing, if it never goes up another dollar and just holds these levels, that'll be a $2 stock in very short order, everyone. So do your own due diligence, um, you know, look into it. The website has just been updated. Um, their, their corporate presentation has just been updated. But again, like I just sent out to, to readers of Junior Mining Monthly in the newest issue that just, that just hit mail inboxes today. Um, everything Arturo Bonilla is the CEO, everything he told me he was going to do last September at Beaver Creek, he's done in spades. And so when he tells me that in three years, he believes Magna can produce 200,000 ounces of gold a year from multiple mines and they'll have reserves of, of, you know, somewhere along the lines of 5 million ounces of gold with a good silver credit. Um, I believe him. I believe him because he's delivered on everything he said until, until proven otherwise. And I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to ride that stock all the way up. So that's one of those that becomes a whole lot easier to hold when you're up, you know, three, four, five, six, seven hundred percent, right? Oh, that's it. I have no interest in, uh, selling any uh, Magna Gold. Meanwhile, I have some other positions. I was telling you, I think last week, that I made it. I had to go and make an inventory of all the stocks and warrants I had. And some, you know, um, I know I no longer, I don't know, uh, am in love with the the, the management team, or, or I don't like the asset, or whatever else has changed, right? And there's some I'm looking to to get out of, right? And so um, that's sort of it. Like some things are working really well, and this is where. Um, you know, I think management teams start to get separated out, right? People will tell you all the turkeys are going to fly, but the, the quality turkeys are going to fly higher, right? Um, and, and now is really the time to be, um, you know, uh, getting your core positions in those uh, companies and management teams that you really like and really want to go into this bull market with 
Um, and, and I think I've said this before, but getting out of some of those positions that you might not want to um, hold any longer and really redeploying that capital, right? Because um, it's, it's all happening very quickly. And I guess that's something else we can talk about for a second is that like, you know, typically these gold bull markets uh, span whatever, uh, a couple of years, 18 months, 30, 36 months, whatever it is, right? And so um, with the way the world is today and with the, the speed of information and with free trading and with um, uh, a big cohort of millennials now in the market, and I'm not saying this is true, I'm just sort of philosophizing here, Gerardo, is like one notion I have is that this could potentially be more compressed, right? And I see this in like the writings of Brian London, who is a little scared, to, not scared, maybe that's not the right word, but he's already saying like, um, you know, not calling for the end of the bull market, but saying that it's going to get like choppy from here. And so um, what do I want to say? If it typically takes whatever, call it three years, maybe this is a, I don't know, a 12 or an 18 month bull market. And so you really want to make sure you maximize it. And um, just to put an end on that, you know, People that we associate with, people that we've now made letters with, right? Rick Rule, Jeff Phillips, Van Simmons, Dines, right? The way they'll tell you about these cycles and that the, the way that these gold bull markets happen, and frankly, they'll tell you they made a lot of money in short windows of time in, as these cycles come. And so um, I, I'm starting to lose my train of thought, but I just want to make sure that um, you got the highest quality positions you can and that you're redeploying capital, right? Um, uh, I got to come up with an example. Like, let me give you an example. I wrote a check into a company. I'm not going to name it, uh, but it was a chief financing. It was like, I don't know, eight cents or something. Right. And it's just been in my portfolio for like a year now. Uh, the whole period's long been up. I haven't sold any shares, but I just sort of haven't talked to the management team anymore. They didn't do anything they said they were going to do with their projects. And so it's just time to move on. The stock is at what? I don't know, 11 or 12 cents today because the turkeys are starting to, to get off the ground a little bit, right? And so I can make three cents a, a share or whatever it is and get that into another, maybe a Magna or a, a Revival or a Midas or something, right? And so um, that's just sort of how I'm looking at things right now. You, you mentioned Revival. It, it, it breached the dollar today. I think it closed just, uh, just below that here on the Canadian side of it. Um, I think Almaden, despite the, the 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 recovery from recent lows, is still a heck of a speculation. I think Midas, of course, you know, it's during that boring period in that in that in that iconic chart, right, that everybody knows. Um, it, it's going through permitting, but hey, <laughs> if you like nearly seven million ounces of gold and in in, in in you know very low cost, high margin deposits, then Midas uh, should be in everyone's portfolio. And I could go on and on. The critical metals are starting to catch a bid, right? Leading edge materials is up seventy. 80% this week after being dormant for years. And, you know, this is a, co a company that I've held in the portfolio for years waiting for, uh, frankly, management to get off its ass and, and provide some clarity on, on which direction it was going to take. And it appears we now have that. It appears that the, the, the company now will focus on, on, on really taking advantage of the, 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 the disruptions in supply chains and the need for domestic critical metal supply chains that Europe is really focused on. And it looks like they're going to pivot back to Nora Shar, which is a, a billion dollar rare earth asset that has been permit challenged in the past, but with the new, very influential, deep pocketed Swedish group of management that's coming in, I, I, I think that's an asset now that can advance and, and, and it, I can be advanced, I should say. And if it is advanced, um, 
there isn't a whole lot of runway between, you know, a company that's got a, a 10, 11 million dollar market cap and an asset in the billions of dollars. Um, of course, do a lot more due diligence than just me saying leading edge materials is a good speculation. There's a lot that goes into that, but um, a lot of the risk has been removed in the market because of the clobbering that it's taken um, over the past several years. So I say all that to say that there's definitely speculative capital coming back into the precious metal space, the critical metal space, um, the uranium space. You know, it's 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 back over thirty four dollars last time I checked the spot price, but. You know, a lot of the, yeah, a lot of the smarter people in the space believe that the utilities will soon be stepping off the sidelines a little bit at a time. So a good time to do what Mr. Hodge has done, take an inventory of your positions, figure out where you want to be exposed, how much exposure you want, redefine your risk timeline because things are moving fast and um, yeah, take advantage of the bull market. I think it's absolutely here. And I agree with your point that and I think we talked about this over a year ago, how everything would happen quicker. You know, the bear markets would happen quicker. The bull markets would be a lot more volatile. Um, and, and the gains and, and the losses, it cuts both ways when it turns, will be, will, be, will be quicker. And so definitely have to be nimble. Definitely have to be quick. The trend is your friend. And like I said, I like a little morality in your speculation, Nick. Buy gold because it's going up for all the right reasons, right? Jump right over that candlestick. <laughs> Let's get to the smoke. Let's get to it. Um, fourth turnings are here. Fourth turnings are not peaceful. Power never cedes power willingly. Um, and we're seeing it. Look, we have riots all across this country right now. And let's be absolutely clear about why the riots are happening. It's not a black and white thing, but it is manifesting that way. It's a black and white thing when it comes to power oppressing people and people's rights. And whether it's Hong Kong or here in America, people want to be free. The same people that had a problem with Colin Kaepernick taking a knee and peacefully protesting police brutality are the same people that are now upset that when there is no justice, there isn't peace. Those people should have supported and should have organized behind Colin Kaepernick. Whether you agreed with the way that he was protesting, the cause was just and there was truth in it. And as Will Smith said, because let's let's go ahead, you know, fourth turning is going to go commercial, right? It's going mainstream. Taylor Swift tweeted, um, I couldldn't believe it that, you know, that she's had enough. Um, and that whatever you believe politically, let's talk about leadership in a bit, but whatever you believe politically, um, boy, the people in charge have done a piss poor job of, 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 of holding these officers and these police departments accountable. That includes the media, most of which has done a piss poor job of reporting headlines like officer Derek Chauvin or Chauvin, whatever his last name is. Um, the officer that killed Mr. George Floyd by putting a knee to the back of his neck and compressing his neck for nearly nine minutes. The headline read, Officer Presses Knee into George Floyd's Neck. Protest and looting ensues. That's, that's a piss poor job of reporting, New York Times. Come on. That, that, that was a murder. That was a murder. That was a white police officer surrounded by other police officers of various ethnicities speaking to the, to, to the point it's power. It's not about white and black, but it is manifesting that way putting a knee to the neck of a man 
who by all accounts in the video that I've seen wasn't resisting arrest, couldn't, couldn't resist arrest, had his hands behind his back. You know, there's a line in the video where he's asking for his mom saying, they're going to kill me. Um, and the man died. He was murdered. He was murdered while the officer knew he was being recorded. This is how callous it was. And that didn't prevent him from digging that knee a little bit deeper. Fine. Nobody protested the first day. The second day, there were peaceful protests. No arrest. So I'm supposed to believe as an American citizen that a black man that was in a store where the store owner called the cops because she thought or he thought that maybe Mr. Floyd may have been passing off a bad $20 check. This is what the officers reported to. That because he was immediately apprehended and arrested, um, that it's okay and acceptable for another man to be filmed murdering a man to go free for days and me as an American citizen, I'm supposed to be okay with that. I'm just supposed to say, take, take your time. Um, you know, the governor of Minnesota, the mayor, they all got up there and again, failure of leadership. Um, <laughs> they, this cop was given more leash, more rope, no pun intended to go ahead and roam free while the department sorted out whether or not to arrest him, let alone charge him. And he's finally being charged today after everything we see in the last several days. But that's what it took to get the powers that be to act. And this isn't the first, you know, that we, we, we had shootings in Louisville protesting the Breonna Taylor case. Are you familiar with that case, Nick? I have only t briefly made myself familiar today. I saw the shootings at the, at the protest last night. People are pissed. Brianna Taylor was a 26-year-old EMT at home in bed with her boyfriend or husband at midnight when officers knocked on the door, then kicked the door in, then rushed inside yelling, cursing, flashlights out, alarmed the male African-American, the black male that was in the house, her boyfriend, her significant other, retrieved his weapon, felt they were being attacked and started firing. Because if I'm at home at midnight and I hear a noise and my door is being kicked in and I happen to have access to a weapon, that is what any reasonable person would do in order to defend their significant other, their home, their property. Police responded. They killed Brianna Taylor. And then we find out they didn't even serve the right house. They were, they were, they were serving a drug warrant and, 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 and the house was mistaken. They, they never should have been there. Um, this happened back in March. It's May 29th. Again, Mr. Floyd, the black man that was killed with the knee to his neck was arrested immediately for maybe writing a $20 bad check. Maybe. And it took, it's taking months to figure out in Louisville, Kentucky, what's going on with the Breonna Taylor case. I could continue. Let's talk about Philando Castle, who was killed. Um, the cop that killed him, and this was recorded as well, or filmed, was given a $48,000 buyout to leave the force. This was a man who was in his vehicle, a black man again in his vehicle, 
with a legally registered weapon in his glove compartment. The police officer asked him to retrieve his license and asked him if he had a weapon. He responded by saying, I have a legally permitted weapon in my glove compartment. He said, okay, the, the cop says, fine, can you please give me your license? He reaches for his license and he's killed. The cop that did that got a $48,000 buyout to leave. Where was the NRA defending a lawfully armed American citizen? The, the same lawyer that represented the, the uh, cop that killed Fernando Castillo is now representing uh, the cop, this Derek Chauvin, who killed George Floyd. That's how it goes, Gerardo. Exactly. And, 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 and people aren't here for it anymore. Right. That, and, and that's, you know, that was a, that's a very long winded, um, rant about the state of things right now. Um, yeah, the privilege, we talked about this last week, right? The timing was, was again, right on point. We talked about privilege and, and, and white privilege last week. And I didn't call it that initially last week because I didn't want to make it about color, but you know, then we had the lady in Central Park, Amy Cooper, uh, investment oh, manager for Franklin Templeton, who, again, she knows she's being recorded. There's a black man in the park observing birds who doesn't want the birds or himself or anyone else in the park to be put in danger because his dog is off the leash. So he politely asked if she can please leash her dog, as is the law. She pulls out her phone, a white lady pulls out her phone in the middle of Central Park and says, I am going to call the police and tell them that an African-American male is threatening me and my dog and I fear for my life. And she says it like, watch what's going to happen to you was the time. Right, because she knows, because she knows a police officer, sorry, Gerardo, because she knows a police officer like Darren Chauvin is going to show up, right? Because she knows what's going to happen. It's common knowledge in America, everybody. For anybody that, that that is in Canada or in Europe or wherever you may be, everybody knows what it is right now. And I am not advocating for violence. I'm not advocating that you go burn a precinct down, though I must admit it didn't hurt my feelings to see it happen. Hell no. I am not advocating that, that, that when Donald Trump says, um, if the looting starts, the shooting will start. When the looting starts, the shooting starts. That's what the president of America said in response to protesters out there. A, a George Wallace line. A George Wallace line from the 60s um, that, again, if you know your history, you know what that campaign and that party was all about back then. Um, you know how, how, how the campaign um, was, was organized and you know everything that went on in the 60s. So the, again, week, after, the week after he's talking about Henry Ford's uh, good genes, right, Gerardo? In a dog whistle to to you know the, the the Nazi sympathizer, Mr. Ford, because that is what he was. Um, and so again, there is just like there's a disconnect in the markets between what the stock market is doing and what the average American is having to go through with unemployment, with healthcare, with the state of the country. You add this to it. You add people that feel like they have no option. Somebody said, uh, and they said it well. Who do you call when the police are the murderers? And then you think, okay, well, maybe my governor, maybe my mayor, maybe my chief of police. No, they're up there saying the same stupid shit as well. And then you think, well, listen, the president did call for an immediate investigation. Maybe he's finally going to come around now and try to unite the country around this, take some leadership initiative and show us that we can unite around justice, truth, and accountability. 
for whatever color. I don't care if it's Asian, Mexican, black, blue, purple, pink. Truth, justice, and accountability for whoever it is by whoever it is. No. When the looting starts, when, when the looting starts, the shooting will start. That's it. You can't kneel. You can't pe- you can't peacefully protest. You already mentioned Colin Kaepernick. They get mad at you when you do that. And um, uh, that's inappropriate and disrespectful to the military. There's always a reason why you shouldn't be uh, protesting this lack of justice and this sort of two tier justice system. Right. And that's um, obviously wrong. And, and, and I really just got to go back to this Amy Cooper lady for a minute because hmm. I, I know I'm just going to kick a dead horse. I'm not going to say anything new, but kick the dead horse. It is, this is the time to is, kick the dead horse. It, it is readily apparent that she is knows what the police response would be to saying an African-American man is threatening me. Um, and further, um, you know, this is like a well-off white lady. Like you said, she's already been fired from her job at Franklin Templeton. So she is of sound mind um, and she she knows how deals are done and she knows how to get things done um, in the business world. And she is thoroughly willing uh, to take that cunningness and weaponize what she knows is institutionalized racism um, without hesitation. It was her immediate go-to. She knew what was going to happen. And she was immediately ready to weaponize it. And it just was absolutely despicable. She deserves everything that's coming to her. And it's just, um, it put just the finest point on this whole uh, police sort of uh, killing black people issue, right? Because it's like uh, so many people are just okay with it and willing to put it to use for themselves if they think it's uh, to their benefit. And it's like, you're willing to like get a black man killed so you can have your ugly fucking dog off a leash in a park. Like what the hell is going on, man? Um, and so I got, you didn't even mention Tamir Rice. Do you remember Tamir Rice? I was going to get to him and Eric Garner. Six years ago. That was 2014. It wasn't even a real gun. The kid was 12 years old in a park. Even they didn't even charge that guy. It's insane. It's like, and, and you know, I'll talk about my family because my brother-in-law is a cop and I've given him shit like this before. And I would label him a bad apple. I hope he listens to this podcast, man, because he protects the other ones, right? You, you, you There's no, it's not a secret why they wait two or three days to, to, to do anything. It's not a secret why, you know, the guys, the two guys who murdered Ahmad Arbery have have months to to call everybody in their good old boy network and get their story straight and make sure everybody's on Team White or Team Good Old Boy, right? That's like how it happens. And so... Um, I hadn't gosh, even brought know. him up. Again, there's so many names, everybody. There's so many names. Um, and, and, and these names, these are just the law enforcement ones other than, well, no, Ahmad Arbery also because those were ex-cops. One of them was an ex-cop, right? And just since everybody's had a phone, which has only been like 10 years. Again, like Will Smith said, right? Because... Believe you me, the revolution is going to go mainstream. The fourth turning, it, it is happening. It is like they say in the inner cities where I grew up when we knew it was going to be one of those summers where it was just going to be a little bit extra, a little bit extra spicy. It's going to be a hot summer and it is going to be a hot summer. Like Will Smith said very well, racism didn't start recently. We just started filming it. You know, the reason that this Amy Cooper lady set me off so much 
um, the, the, the lady that called the cops on, on this black man in Central Park, who, by the way, was Harvard educated, mm -hmm. um, happened to be on the board of the Audubon Society. I thought it was like right. the greatest right tale in to, to, to that. But the reason it upset me so much is because I know my history. You know, I, I know what happened to Emmett Till decades Emmett ago. Till, sure. You know, I know how that started. A white woman saying, hey, that kid whistled at me. And, and him getting drugged for miles and his eyeballs popping out of his fucking head. America knows. And if America knows, just like you, you just mentioned with your brother-in-law, we all have to start stepping up and changing, changing the structural nature of what's going on, the systems that enable it. Why are our police departments militarized? There was a Predator drone flying over Minnesota last night. Who authorized that? An American citizen's. I mean, the same Congress and Senate that said they could spy on your browser history without a, a, a warrant, Gerardo. I mean, it's come on. Baltimore's got 24-7 aerial surveillance. And and again, it, I, it, 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 it's not flying anymore, everyone. It's just not going to continue to happen without consequence. And the consequences can can, can be had in a number of ways. And, and, and frankly, like I said in the beginning of this, power never cedes power willingly. Um, it, it, it's going to, it's probably going to get worse before it gets better because I don't see anything from our elected leaders, the bulk of them, including most in the media, not all, but most in the media that give, that, that gives me, I don't see anything that gives me confidence that we're going to address this in a methodical, reasonable, truth, justice, and accountability approached way. Those should be the metrics, right? Whoever it's for whether it's for a police officer, whether it's for a gang member, whether it's for a drug dealer, whether it's for an EMT, whether it's for a 12-year-old kid at the park, whether it's for a man selling cigarettes, whoever it's for, I want truth, accountability, and justice. And we all have a responsibility when we see it to speak up at the very least, at the very least. Well, and it's a powder keg, Gerardo, because everybody is... Uh, mandated to be home right now anyway. People aren't going to work. It's a it's a perfect recipe for uh, people to get out there in the streets. And that's exactly what's going down. Uh, I'll post a link to a feed that I've been following called Unicorn Riot that's been doing a really great job of, of documenting the scenes in Minneapolis, whether that's the the looting of the stores or the, the burning of the various stores or the taking over of a police precinct, as you mentioned. Um, I don't watch much cable news, but um, from the mainstream news outlets that I follow online via Twitter and, and other places, I haven't been seeing thorough coverage um, of these riots like needs to be done. Uh, you alluded to the press coverage of this already, and it's not, surprise, surprise, doing it any justice. And so uh, seek out some alternative media sources as well to really see what's going on. Minneapolis is absolutely fucking burning. And will likely continue to. Um, you know, I, 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 I turned on and I'm not a fan of CNN, just like I'm not a fan of Fox. They both have become, you know, what, what, what I, they're, they're opinion channels to me, right? They're not really news channels with very few exceptions on both sides, but it was handy and I had the remote and it was midnight. I hadn't fallen asleep yet. I was doing some research for today and I said, let me just turn on the news real quick because I saw, you know, on Twitter, everything that was going on in Minneapolis. And, and so <laughs> as I'm watching, like I, 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 I see... I, I, I see clips of this journalist, this black Hispanic journalist being arrested 
around a bunch of other white journalists. He, he was the only one arrested. Him and his, his, his crew of three people were arrested and, and, and the cops and, and, and the, 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 the governor and the police chief later on said, we just, we were clear in the area and wanted to make sure that we could identify everybody, you know, kudos to his colleagues, his white colleagues who, who stepped up and did say something and say, no, we provided IDs to, to everybody, to all the police officers. We identified ourselves as reporters. There's a big, huge fucking camera with lights and he's got his press credentials on him. It was again, a show of power. The cops did this in the middle of people rioting over cops murdering a black man while people were watching and recording it. That's supposed to inspire confidence. That's supposed to me try to be a rational person, sit here and go, okay, no, the powers that be are going to sort this out. Give justice a chance, give peace a chance. Fool me once, right? There's that old, uh, there's that old Maya Angelou poem that says, when people show you who they are, believe them. And then there's also that old Malcolm X quote that says, when people speak to you in another language that, they, that, that you don't understand, sometimes you have to learn their language. And again, I'm not hoping for that. I'm not going long that if we want to use a market term. Um, I'm hoping for justice, truth, and accountability. Um, but we are at a point where it has to happen and, and, and it has to happen one way or the other. And I'm talking structural changes. I'm not talking about just the three cops because it wasn't just one. One was knee, you know, one was pressing down on the man's neck, Mr. Floyd. But there were two other cops that were kneeling on him as well. I'm not just talking about them going to prison. I'm talking about the entire institution that allows for that. Anybody remember the kids and the parents, the brown Mexican kids and Central American kids that were, you know, caged at the border and being separated and, you know, having generational, um, you know, trauma put on them? They're still there and the families are still getting split up and the private prisons are still profiting off of it. And everybody forgot about that. I haven't forgot about that. But all that's still happening. So again, you know, whether you're a poor white or a brown person or a black person in this country, and, and there are different levels of how bad you're getting discriminated against, let's be clear. Um, <laughs> this system isn't for you, baby. This government isn't for you. So that's, you know, that that's all I got. I could continue this for 10 hours. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, now we're starting to see. And so you, you need one of those moments, right? You asked me if I wanted to light the match months and months ago. And I yep. told you, yes, there's lots of matches being lit Yep. Um, now. And what I'm starting to see, and maybe I just missed it in all the other incidents like this for the past 10 years. But I've always said, like, you need the good cops to stand up, right? Like, um, there's going to have to be some cops that are literally going to have to like throw down their shield and cross to the other side, uh, whether that's physically or, or metaphorically. Right. And at least uh, metaphorically, I've seen that a little bit this week where yep. you've got um, like I think it was the Houston police chief whose skin happens to be brown and a couple of others, you know, penning long letters about how this culture has to end. Like that's how it has to happen. Right. With some cops are like, yeah, we know there's a big issue here. Right. I was proud of our police chief here in Austin, Mr. Brian Manley, a white man, um, who got out there immediately. He didn't wait three days. He didn't wait four days. He didn't need to see the riots. He, he got up there and he said, and this was his tweet, this is heart-wrenching and we must be better than this. 
or these senseless deaths will continue to occur. This was in relation, just so everybody keep their victims straight. This was about George Floyd. Um, he said George Floyd was telling officers he could not breathe, but to no avail. As law enforcement professionals, we must do better in service to our communities. This was immediate. He continued that. Well, let me, let me step back. The Round Rock Police Chief, Alan Banks, followed that by saying, we in law enforcement can't, and capitalized can't, look at the George Floyd case and turn a blind eye. There is no justification for these actions. We must hold officers accountable for atrocious decisions. That was followed by several of the surrounding counties around here, um, their police chiefs and senior staff actually speaking out and saying, no, even to us, <laughs> even to us, this is bullshit. And so that's all I got, everybody. We, <laughs> you're going to get justice one way or the other. Um, how long we want it to take how violent it gets. The well, that's it, right? That we're going to uh, have to just, decide that as a collective. Just one last point. It was only last week, I think, I was talking about the night in Indianapolis that there was three different incidents that led to the deaths <laughs> of three different black people, right? And the, the last one was uh, the vigilante justice. Essentially, the black kid just started shooting at the cops. And, uh, you know, I got to give you the standard caveat that I'm not advocating for that, but I could certainly see a whole lot more of that coming. Again, as a collective, we're going to have to decide how we go about getting the justice. Truth, justice, and accountability. Simple. This isn't hard, everyone. But we're going to have to figure out how we get there. Um, because this group, this generation, every, the, the collective that is a part of this fourth turning, isn't going to sit by and just watch the TV and hope it's given to them. Perfect. So let's end there. What did Taylor Swift say? I still don't know. Taylor Swift. <laughs> so because I have is, a point I want to make after you tell me what she said. I, 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 absolutely. So we're, we're, we're going to go with the Taylor Swift tweet and then the, the, the Mr. Ahmadinejad, right? Former leader of Iran, right? And, and, and what he said, and he quoted Tupac, which made me believe I, I, I got to be living like in some sort of simulation because... This is what is going on in 2020. Um, <laughs> Mahmoud Abnadinejad is quoting Tupac and Taylor Swift is calling out Donald Trump. What she said was, in a tweet, of course, after stoking the fires of white supremacy and racism, your entire presidency, you have the nerve to feign moral superiority before threatening violence. When the looting starts, the shooting starts... We will vote you out in November at real Donald Trump. Taylor Swift's ready to clip up. <laughs> Metaphorically, so, I don't know if she's clipping up for real, for real, but I know, you know, the Swift gang out there, they're, they're deep. That's what I'm going to say now. So um, I have like a second cousin, I think it is. It might be a third cousin. Don't know each other well. Uh, she's young. She's probably 16 or 17 years old. I follow her on Instagram. And, um, you know, you don't know a lot at 16 or 17 years old and you're very impressionable. Right. So um, her parents are conservative and she lives in rural Pennsylvania. And so she's like a, a young Republican. Right. And I'm putting air quotes around young Republican because she doesn't really know what that means. She's just like a MAGA person at 16 years old because that's what she's been taught. Sure. Um, and so not the sort of person you would 
um, think would be advocating for uh, like Black Lives Matter, right? In fact, like some of the stuff I've seen her post about like MAGA and President Trump would lead me to believe that she was, you know, not, I'm not going to say a closet racist, but certainly not a Black Lives Matter supporter, right? And then um, this week after I didn't even know about the Taylor Swift, but I have to imagine this was the catalyst, right? Because hmm. um, she's definitely a Taylor Swift fan and would have hmm. seen that. Um, she's now uh, got like Black Lives Matter memes in her uh, Instagram feed talking about uh, George Floyd. Right. And so uh, that's not even she's not even a millennial. I mean, this is whatever you want to call them, uh, Z or Y or whatever they're being referred to. But anyway, um, yeah, no, just an anecdote that I could see uh, a change in, in the amount of reach that she has in the whatever they call themselves, the Taylor Swift Brigade or whatever. And, and I'm going to keep going because I was going to stop, but now I'm not going to stop. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a Trump supporter. I agree with Trump on some things, right? Immigration, I think he's a clown. I think he takes advice from white supremacists that have shaped immigration policy or lack of it. There is no immigration policy other than traumatize, separate, and profit off of brown people. That's just what it is, right? You show me a comprehensive immigration policy that people can follow where people can get here legally and I'll... I'll, I'll, I'll debate you on that, but there isn't one. It doesn't exist. But there's nothing wrong with being a Trump supporter. I agree with him on China, you know, not his approach. But hey, you know, let, let, let's have a dialogue there about about IP, intellectual property, um, blaming China and scapegoating them for, for the virus. Whole different thing. Disagree there. My point is when people show you who they are, believe them. So I have to contrast two tweets, right? The tweet last month, or not even last month, the beginning of May, where stormed, uh, where, where, where men with assault rifles legally assembled, rightfully so, stormed the Capitol with AR-15s and AK-47s. And again, that's Michigan law. You can do that. Um, they went up there and they said, hey, we want to yell at cops. We want to call them names. We want to flip them off. We want to threaten politicians. That's illegal, by the way. Whole another conversation. And the tweet was, the governor of Michigan should give a little and put out the fire. These are very good people, but they are angry. They want their lives back again, safely. See them, talk to them, make a deal. That's the response to armed, mostly white males in Michigan storming the Capitol building, demanding their freedom so they can leave the house and get a haircut and not have to go through the drive-thru to refill their iced tea and all that shit. And, and, and being serious, people want to work and make a living. And I get that part. Um, contrast that with the tweet again last night. Here's the tweet. These thugs, capital letters, are dishonoring the memory of George Floyd. And I won't let that happen. Just spoke to Governor Tim Walls and told him that the military is with him all the way. Any difficulty and we will assume control. But when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Thank you. Fucking dick. And like Dave Chappelle said, it's not just one side that has guns, people. So let's, um, you know, let, 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 let's hope that we seek justice um, in a methodical, practical, systematic, pragmatic way. Um, we'll leave that there. Um, <laughs> let's pivot to SoftBank. I know you wanted to talk about SoftBank, Nick. I could talk about the injustices in America forever and the change that needs to happen. And hopefully we can find healthy and productive ways to participate in that change moving forward. Um, but let's talk about SoftBank. You had a perfect market microcosm that you wanted to touch on. 
Well, I had just started mentioning on on Twitter a, a couple of uh, months ago how all this wasn't going to end really well um, for SoftBank because of the way they had uh, constructed their portfolio with all these unicorns, right? And so um, now we're seeing that play out where SoftBank is is not having such a good time. You would have seen them in the news last week where many of their investments weren't doing so well. And um, the leader of SoftBank was then comparing himself to Jesus. Um, <laughs> can't make 2020, folks. <laughs> and then this week, um, we learned that they have a record uh, $13 billion uh, operating loss. And of course, they're going to um, give the Vision Fund's head, his name is Rajiv Misra, a raise for that performance uh, for losing $13 billion. Uh, he gets a raise of uh, nearly uh, more than 100%, excuse me, more than double to $15 million. And so, um, gosh, it's the perfect market microcosm, right? Where um, you can make any sort of bet you want and then when the bet goes against you, guess what? It doesn't really matter because you still win. You either get a bonus or a pay raise or a bailout or a, um, as we learned this week, um, you know, or not even this week, over the past couple of weeks, the paycheck protection loans go into <laughs> some of these big Wall Street outfits, right? Um, and so I just wanted to make sure that it, it made it into the record that um, when you can bet on all these unprofitable unicorns and the market goes in the entire opposite direction um, and some of your biggest bets aren't even viable business models anymore, we work, um, that you can get a 100% raise on Wall Street and it's all good. Nick, having to risk making millions by betting in the market, even when everything supports that, is so old school. Don't you know you can make millions of dollars now? By just taking a company to bankruptcy, like that's the that that's the new betting on the market and having the Fed backstop everything. Like you don't even have to bet on the market if you're Hertz executives. Did you read that? Oh yeah, uh, talk about Hertz. Go ahead. Yeah. So so for those of you that aren't familiar, Hertz just declared bankruptcy, right? Um, and so what it decided to do was pay sixteen point two million dollars in cash bonuses to three hundred and forty top essential employees in recognition of the uncertainty the company and its employees face as the coronavirus pandemic wrecks the global travel industry. It also cited the substantial additional efforts undertaken by these employees um, in the midst of an extremely challenging business environment. So if you are one of the lucky 340 executives that know who's who and what's what, you don't even have to bet on the market. You can divvy up 16.2 million amongst the 340 of you and then declare bankruptcy. America, baby. It's not just the streets. It's not just the race thing. It's at all levels of the system. It is systemic, top to bottom, systemic. That's the way it is right now. That's uh, almost 50 grand a person if they split it equally, which I would remind listeners is nearly twice the poverty level of the United States. And you know they weren't splitting it equally. <laughs> you know it didn't happen that way. Um, so what did we learn this week, Nick? Oh, I think we learned that that was left over on the sheet from last week, but I learned that... Um, <laughs> 
I learned I a couple it, of I things. <laughs> I learned that um, the reopening, and you know, I've kind of been hinting at this, but now I'm actually learning it because the place where I have a private office is a co-working space, and I have one of four private offices that are in there. So I've been coming here every day in the quarantine because I can get in only myself, and I'm the only one that touches the door, etc. Uh, but they reopened officially. I think I told you last week on the podcast that Spokane was moving to phase two over the weekend, um, two weekends ago, Memorial Day weekend, uh, when you will be listening to this. And so that means restaurants are now open at 50% capacity um, and um, uh, this co-working place could reopen. So, you know, they sent out the, an email to all the people at the co-working space. Uh, doors back open on Tuesday. Can't wait to see your faces. It's been a rough time. Well, today's Friday, Gerardo, and I haven't seen a single other person come into the co-working place, right? And so um, that's one thing I learned is that um, unequivocally, if something's open, it doesn't mean someone's patronizing it. Um, and similar, <laughs> similarly, you mean with people have a choice. It's that's amazing, exactly right. amazing, right? To have freedom and a choice. <laughs> And I guess I'll just tell you about the couple of things I did. I went out to dinner with my wife and there was a lot of people out, um, as many as could be, I guess. The restaurant was 50% full uh, across demographics um, and, and across ages. There was an a older black woman sitting uh, at a table across from us just reading her um, little digital ebook and having herself a salad and a glass of wine. There was a table of looked like four middle-aged gentlemen to maybe doing a car deal or something. Um, two older gentlemen sitting at their bar, having like their weekly meeting, 70 or 80 years old, drinking their glass of wine. And so uh, people were out and then I'm an eavesdropper and I'm a people watcher. So I can tell you what's <laughs> on some of these people's minds, right? Some people I would like call to... you a voyeur, Nick. Are you a voyeur? <laughs> Maybe. I only, I only like what they're doing in public. I don't want to be in their bedroom. Um, and so the uh, I'll just requote this conversation for you. The, the, the older black woman sitting by herself is, is having her glass of wine and reading her book and, and two other women walk in and they know each other. Um, and so they start talking. The two women had on masks and that came in and the black woman didn't. But, you know, she sat at her table and they stayed a couple of feet away and they were chit chatting. And the, the one lady says, you know, um, I thought I would be more apprehensive than I am about going to restaurants. But. Um, I've been out a couple of times and I'm only going to the nicer places and I felt pretty good so far. And the other two ladies say, yeah, the same with us. So um, I don't know if this is true and I don't know. It's just it's obviously anecdotal. But um, to me, and this is America, um, people are milking this not to have to go to work, but are willing to go out to the beach and to the boardwalk and to the restaurants uh, but the offices are still dangerous. It's just something I'm picking up on. And I think the productivity reports that we see in 12 and 18 months are going to be um, absolutely abysmal. And then, because I don't want to, I'm not a, a, a poo-poo everything kind of guy. There's stuff that's <laughs> absolutely going gangbusters, right? Like um, I had to get an implement for my tractor service this week. So I took it to the tractor dealer and I was uh, just asking the dealer questions. And it happened to be the owner, he owned three tractor dealerships in Idaho and, and Washington. And I mean, he's grinning ear to ear, Gerardo. He says, I've never sold tractors at a pace like this before. I mean, everybody's a hobby farmer now, right? Everybody that's got two, three, four, five, fifty 50 acres, whatever is in there buying an orange tractor because 
whatever. <laughs> They're tilling their garden or everybody's locked at home. And and so things I think are going to be really good. Like I might buy some Kubota. Like, I don't know. I'm just, you got to really, it's a new normal and we're learning a lot and people are exercising their freedom of choice in, in various ways. And that's manifesting in all sorts of different ways in the, in the economy. And so um, that's about it. What I learned this week, I, I've also learned there's been a lot of bankruptcies. Uh, you just mentioned Hertz. There's been <laughs> really? a lot. And, and so, um, you know, with all this stuff, uh, companies going away, we've always said it only takes a little bit of money going into the gold sector, right? But here you've got... Um, multi-hundred million, if not billion-dollar corporations melting away seemingly daily. And that money is, um, after it goes to money heaven, it's going to resurrect somewhere. It's going to resurrect somewhere indeed. Um, that's all I got for this week, Nick. It's, uh, it's, it's, I want to I encourage everybody to be careful on all fronts. Not only do we have a pandemic, not only do we have a, 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 a structure in place in this country, um, that is severely flawed and skewed to the very few. Um, you know, we, not only are we in the midst of a of of, of depression type unemployment, um, it's a bizarro world. So just be careful out there. Enjoy the little moments. Enjoy the little victories. Celebrate all of them because it it it's 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 going to be a hot summer. And notice them when you can. You know. I don't watch Squawk Box or CNBC, but I saw a segment uh, on on Twitter this week. Um, Just really fourth turning aired in real time on a major financial network where you've got Andrew Ross Sorkin, who's born in 1977. I looked this up because I wanted to see the age differences. So he's a late Gen Xer, right? You know, I love these um, archetypes of generations. And so if he were born just four years later, Andrew Ross Sorkin, and sorry, I'm going to take up another five minutes, he would be a millennial. And so uh, in the book, they would say he exhibits millennial traits, even though he's a Gen Xer because he was born so late in the 70s. And this week, really not just this week, for the past couple of weeks, I've seen these flare-ups happen with him and uh, Joe Kernan, who is the, the, the older gentleman who's on Squawk Box. And they have just been at each other's throats. I mean, it's not friendly banter at at points where Andrew is telling him that these stocks shouldn't be going up and all these companies are getting bailouts and it's a good old boys club. And, you know, some of the stuff that we say about the Fed and BlackRock and this and that. And then this week, I mean, just openly shouting at each other where um, Andrew Ross Sorkin was yelling at Joe Kernan. The only thing you've done is support your president and support this like small cabal of of Wall Street higher ups. And you only care about stock prices and not the people or the economy. And gosh, I mean, it's just like the, the fourth turning aired live, like right in front of you. So notice that kind of stuff. Uh, but you should put a link up to the clip. It ended with Mr. Sorkin saying, just do the news. Trust me, do the news. <laughs> And, 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 and his tone and his face was like, if you don't do the fucking news right now, I'm going to hand you your ass on live TV. Do the news. It was, it was again, one of those moments, right? Where you're seeing cracks. I'm going to do something unless you have something else to add before I depart here, Nick. Nope. I'm done. Going to do something I thought I would never do, but this is 2020. I am going to leave you with a quote from former Iranian president. Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, his tweet was, the scheme of the world powers is to cause disunity in order to keep all societies under control. The killing of George Floyd was deeply disturbing and upsetting, 
and is the result of the current world order which we all must unite against. He then quoted Tupac and dropped the mic. I'm Gerardo Del Real, along with my co-host, Mr. Nick Hodge. This has been episode 72 of Bizarro World. Time to speak up, everybody. See ya.